Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Si, senor. Wake up, America. It's Monday, February 27th. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance, and uh, this morning, Patrick Madrid's producer, Cyrus, is with us. Welcome aboard, Cyrus, in for Sarah, who is off today. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday morning. Hope you had a great weekend. Can you believe it? The last weekend of February, we're down the last few days. Time is just flying by. Now, even though we're in the first full week of Lent, there is still time to elevate your Lent this year in just a few minutes each day with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. They are packed with all kinds of interesting facts and teachings to help you learn more about the Mass and your faith. See why these bite-sized videos had over a million views just last year. So you can sign up uh, this morning. It's still not too late for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. You can do it at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before. The good news is they're 100% totally free. And that's, again, relevantradio.com slash Lent. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. And if you want to send us an email directly with your thoughts uh, or any story ideas, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. I want to bring in uh, my partner, our news anchor, uh, Glenn Leverance. Glenn, what are some of the stories making headlines on this Monday morning? Well, John, believe it or not, some three years later, COVID uh, and the origins, well, still hotly debated, still in the news. Uh, there's some new thought now that uh, the FBI has concluded with moderate confidence the virus traces back to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So coming from a lab as opposed to a market in China, all the U.S. agencies aren't in complete agreement on that, but uh, some stronger, stronger evidence, I believe, now pointing to uh, a lab origin, John. Yeah, and this is collaborating uh, what the U.S. Energy Department is also reporting. Uh, but again, uh, there's other um, parts of the government that are not in agreement. But it's good to see that finally, after three years, the truth is coming out. There's so many people, uh, some very prominent people that were canceled uh, in the last three years just for even suggesting uh, that the virus may have started in Wuhan. Mm. And... Uh, Again, a definitive answer, uh, not out there quite yet, but uh, the debate continues. Absolutely. Meanwhile, uh, President Biden says that uh, he intends, in quotes, he intends to run for president. What do we know? I don't know that this says anything yet other than he intends to, as opposed to he is. Uh, his wife, First Lady Jill Biden, says uh, it's imminent that a re-election campaign will be announced very soon. Uh, we've heard reports of anywhere from... February, which has two days left to possibly as late as, as April. Uh, other Democrats uh, wanting to see what's going on in case uh, it's their chance to get in the, in the, in the ring as well with their hat. So uh, we'll see, but it could be soon. Well, there's uh, definitely been a lot of speculation. Uh, you, you've seen this before. What, what, what are your, uh, what's your best guess, Glenn? Well, uh, you know, surveys and polling say that uh, many would prefer someone else, even among Democrats. Uh, however, his poll numbers have increased. Uh, the surprising good turnout for Democrats in the midterm kind of 
shaken things up to the degree that it's not maybe as automatic that he wouldn't run again. Uh, I don't know, but he, you know, lifelong politician. Uh, he's, this is what he does. He's used to he's used to running for things. And as we've talked about in the past, uh, he he is our president. He's our Catholic president. Even if we don't agree with his policies, uh, our faith tells us that we need to pray for him and our leaders. So uh, we continue to keep President uh, Biden in our prayers. Uh, On a a lighter note, uh, there's a new Grinch that stole Christmas sequel. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, the 1957 Dr. Seuss original, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Many of us grew up having that story read to us and then later made it an annual deal to watch it on TV with the beautiful animation there. But How the Grinch Lost Christmas will pick up a year after the original story. It'll show the Grinch trying to win the Whoville Christmas crown by making the best Christmas tree. So apparently he gets really into this Christmas thing, right? It's an official sequel, but it's not based on anything from uh, the Dr. Seuss archives. So a a brand new story, and that'll be out uh, this fall, How the Grinch Lost Christmas. So in case you wondered what what happens after his heart grew three sizes, well, he apparently really gets into the decorating. That's the part. You hit it right on the nose that I always enjoyed was seeing his heart grow three sizes. It had a little bit of a biblical uh, uh, aspect to it, uh, since that's really what our Lord wants us to do. He wants our hearts to grow three sizes. Yeah, amen amen to that. There you go. All right, Glenn, as always, uh, thanks so much. Uh, We'll uh, check in with you next hour. Sure thing, John. We begin every hour, every show, every morning, as we always do, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. Every day is a gift, and we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe is patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of relevant radio. Pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And every morning we invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, I trust in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now, uh, throughout this month of February that is winding down, it's been an opportunity uh, to recognize uh, Black History Month and uh, people of all races and uh, many different faiths across our nation have been celebrating black Americans and uh, their stories. It's important to talk about these issues affecting the black community and to address them in the proper way. Joining us live this morning from the Chicago area is Dr. Eric Wallace, the president and co-founder of Freedom's Journal Institute, to discuss some of these issues that matter most in the black community. Dr. Eric Wallace is a man of uh, vision and focus who couples his rich educational background with a unique ability uh, to uh, challenge the status quo. Dr. Wallace holds the distinction of being the first African-American to earn a Ph.D. in biblical studies from Union PSCE, which is now the Union Presbyterian Seminary. 
Dr. Wallace is also the host of Kingdoms in Conflict, A Matter of Faith, Race, and Public Policy, which is a national television production of Freedom's Journal Institute that tackles uh, socio-political issues from a biblically conservative worldview. Uh, he is also a former pastor, but uh, Dr. Wallace prefers to be recognized first and foremost as a believer in Jesus Christ and a servant of God. Good morning, Dr. Wallace. Thanks so much for joining us. It is great to be connected with you once again here on Morning Air. Hey, John. It's a pleasure to be on. It really is. Uh, it's been way too long, uh, Dr. Wallace. Yeah. Uh, you with us just in time here at the tail end of uh, Black History Month. Uh, I wanted to get your your take uh, and your perspective uh, of uh, why Black History Month should be important, uh, not only to Catholics, but to all uh, Christians of, of all den- denominations. Well, I think it's... Um, well, I, I must be honest. I've, I've mixed emotions about Black History Month. Um, on, on the one hand, I think obviously it's important for for everyone to know our history, um, black, Hispanic, um, Asian, whatever, whatever ethnicity you are uh, as Americans, we should all always be celebrating um, your diversity in America and the, the very and, and, and the things that have, the various ethnicities have contributed to our great country. Um, but on the other hand, there's this idea that that. There shouldn't be a necessarily necessarily needs to be a, a separate month for Black History. We should be talking about Black History or American History throughout, you know, throughout the year. I mean, it used to be Black History Week. I think it was. It started out as a week, then it became a month, and now um, there are some of us who are saying, "Well, we need to be talking about this, um, you know, year round, um, and just incorporating it in what is American history. How do we understand it, and how do we give?" voice to those folks who have helped, uh, who have contributed to the greatness of this country um, with its many different strands, if you will, that have come together to make this country strong. Well, Dr. Wallace, um, I can understand uh, your mixed emotions because, you know, there's a lot of clarity out there and uh, a lot of misinformation. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks who are supposedly are supporting, uh, uh, you know, black causes, the black agenda. But in reality, they're really supporting what turns out to be very liberal, very uh, left yeah. uh, causes, a, a left agenda. Very much so. And actually, they're, they've weaponized race to try and destroy um, our country. Um, I mean, they've, they've come out acting as though, you know, to be white is some kind of, is something negative. It's, it's almost like the unpardonable sin <laughs> that uh, somehow, and this interesting is it's being pushed by white liberals. It's not just black liberals, but there are a lot of white liberals who are pushing this, uh, this kind of woke agenda to attack, um, to attack one another, to attack, um, um, they want to push socialism and attack, um, shoot the free market. I couldn't think of it for a second. <laughs> Attack the free market, and somehow they they want to change our uh, change our democracy from a, from a democracy to socialism, and uh, and they're actually doing a, a pretty good job at it, putting us at each other's throats. Well, you know, I, I've always been very inspired when I when I reflect on the words of. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, that we should focus on the content of one's character and not uh, the color of one's skin. And so uh, that gives me uh, a lot of solace. Yeah, and they've turned it on its head, right? <laughs> let's, 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 let's judge everybody about the color of their skin. I mean, ex- uh, 
um, as Kendi talked about, Ibrahim as Kendi talked talks about that. Every, every anytime he sees uh, disparity, he sees racism, and the only way to fight racism is with with, with more racism. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's um, it's it's totally turned everything up on its head, and and because of people are are talking like that, I think it's time for the American people, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, you just stand up and say this is ridiculous. We're not going to have it anymore. Um, you know, you're not going to weaponize race. And actually, the interesting thing is about this, John, is that a lot of people will say there is there aren't a number of different races. There's only one race, the human race. And there are even people on the left that actually say that race is a social construct. So how can there be racism if there's only one race? Right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Amen. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. But the one thing that is uh, a reality, um, particularly in the black community, is the issue of, of fatherlessness. Uh, can you talk about fatherlessness as, as, as a cause and at the same time the root of, of many of the issues that we're seeing uh, in the black community? Well, there, there are many, I believe, that um, well, I think the, the, the statistics show that 70% of black children now are born out of out of wedlock, right? The bonus single, single parents, single parent households. And that wasn't the case back in the forties and fifties. It wasn't until the sixties that, you know, this, this war on poverty um, kicked in that somehow the federal government was going to come in and save the day. Right. <laughs> I think it was like 25% back then. Now it's 70%. Uh, of, um, and it's, and it's not only high in the black community, it's high in the white and the Hispanic community. It, I was thinking growing. the same thing, Doctor. I was thinking, you know, yeah. yeah, it's high in the black community, but it's an issue for all people. You need a mother yeah. and a father. A mother cannot be a father and vice versa. Absolutely. And they say that some of the some of the crime that goes on in our in our communities is is a direct result of not having a father in the home. Um there's there's nobody there to protect these young men against against um gang uh you know, gang violence and gang membership. I mean I I was a single father for a while uh, with two boys and there's no way in the world. Um, not that I live in a neighborhood where there were gangs, but if they were coming after my son, they'd have to get through me. Right. So the father is, is the protector. The father is the one who tells us, tells the sons and the daughters, you know, you know what they can do and what they can't do. And if you, if you, if you uh, cross that line, it's, <laughs> uh, it's the dad that, you know, back in the day when mothers did stay home and were, were, um, homemakers, they say, you know, wait till your father gets home, right? <laughs> so the thought was, dad, dad's the enforcer, right? Dad comes home and he, he just, you know, finds out what happened in school, finds out what's happening in the community, and uh, you know, you better not be misbehaving, or there's going to be, um, there's going to be uh, consequences. So uh, I remember, you know, um, not that I was a bad kid, mind you, John, <laughs> but I got spankings every now and then. My dad, you know. Uh, you know, when, when I stepped out of line, he took care of it. So if you don't have that in the home, you know, when kids start turning, you know, when they get become, you know, preteens or teenagers, um, it's hard sometimes for, for mom then to, to, to deal with them without having that enforcer, you know, the love of a father. I'm not just saying about, you know, his discipline, but also the love of the father, you know, the, uh, the wisdom of the father, the, the example of a father, um, the strength that he shows and brings um, to a relationship, all that is important. And I think a lot of it is missing. And then you have young people whose, whose parents have been involved, like a father's been involved in criminal activity. A lot of times they'll end up taking that father and they'll, 
they'll send them to jail someplace else where the kid has no access <clears throat> to seeing the father, even when they're in prison. And I think that's wrong too. If you're going to do that, you, it is so important for us to have, for men to be in the lives of their children, um, whether they're male or female. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I, I'm sure that there's a, a strong connection uh, with the gang violence that we've seen in, in major mm-hmm. cities across the country, especially, you know, in Chicago every single weekend. We, we see so many shootings and deaths. Um, there's got to be a connection between that and the lack of fathers in the home. Absolutely. And I think um, it's time for people to actually start talking about that. And the way our society is going, though, I mean, when you say it's okay for, you know, two women to get married or two men to get married, I mean, and then for them to adopt children, what you're saying is that it doesn't, society is saying it doesn't matter, while the behavior of our children is saying, yes, it does matter, that you need to have a, ma- a, a male and a female in the house for for kids to understand who they are and and the fact that they've been made in the image of God and that they are special, that, that every human being is created in the image of God. And it and God established that there should be a man and a woman. I mean, we didn't we didn't come up with that. It's it's in the biblical text. Without a doubt. And, and, you know, and every human being, including the tiny human beings, the unborn. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk real briefly uh, about the issue uh, of life, uh, the issue of abortion uh, that is so deeply been affecting uh, the black community now for, for decades. Yeah, I think the statistics you may know better than I do, but I think it's 40 percent. Um, black women, make, I mean, blacks make them like 13 percent of the population. We account for like 40 percent of the abortions. And so it's, and, and some have even said that in places like New York City, there's more aborted black babies than are born black babies. So this is, you know, turned it on again, we're turning stuff on its head that this is not the, this is not the way it should be. Um, you know, we're killing our future. We're, we're killing presidents and doctors and lawyers and scientists, you know, that would have, would have, uh, you know, grown up and, and been contributing to, uh, you know, to society, but, uh, for whatever reason, we've decided that it's, that it, that it's okay. Now, fortunately, you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned and it's gone to the States and that brings up a whole nother issue. Now, how do we fight it, you know, from state to state? And I think, um, uh, it's, it's time for the, 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 the pro-life movement to, I mean, I know people have been, been talking about how do you, how do you take care of this issue in the States? Unfortunately, we live in a state of Illinois, which is, you know, wants to be the abortion capital of the of the United States as much as possible because our you know our, our politicians here don't don't seem to care about um, about that issue. They 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 want people to come here and have abortions. It's 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 kind of sickening to be be quite honest. And I think really uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, people call this a, a, a social justice issue. A social justice actually be- begins in the womb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and actually, I I take umbrage with that term, social justice. All ju- all justice is social, right? So we don't really need a uh, an adjective in front of it. Um, uh, but you're right. I mean, you know, you you're talking about taking away somebody's life, and for what for what cause, right? They didn't ask to be uh, conceived, um, and when but once it happens, we should be protecting it as we protect all life. Uh, you know, once a once a baby is conceived, it's considered a, a human being. It's a life, and we need to. If 
if we're serious about, uh, you know, being God's uh, voice here on this planet, then we need to speak up and speak up and, and vote and get out and do whatever we need to do to try and move this country forward to, to respecting all life. Well, the issue of life is the preeminent issue because without life, there's no other issues to talk about. But another one that's important, uh, particularly to the black community, is this uh, idea of critical race theory. I know this is something that you're passionate about. Can you share with us um, uh, what your take is on uh, CRT and the black community? Wow, CRT. Uh, Excuse me. CRT is is the big lie that, um, well, if you understand critical theory, I always want to go back to critical theory because we, we seem to focus on, on critical race theory. And I think those on the left are laughing at us because they, because they, they want, they want to use this. All of these folks are against, um, are against black people or they're racist because they don't want critical race theory taught. It's just, it's just, um, black history. I'm like, no, it's not. If you connect it back to critical theory, it's about um, it's about Marxism. It's about uh, um, I forget the exact term. Um, it escapes me for a minute, John. But uh, the the idea is that they're trying to change again our culture, and so they weaponize race. Critical theory rep, uh, weaponizes uh, sex and gender. So critical theory has a number of different tentacles, and one of those tentacles is is critical race theory. And like I said, it, it weaponizes it. It tries to say that white people are, um, or or that as they look at U.S. history, they, the the United States was was um, was racist from the very beginning. That that we were established, slavery was established in the United States. That uh, you know Jim Crow. And all these uh, systemic racism is what's what's driving everything that happens in the United States, and it's just it's just not true. It's a I'm not saying it didn't happen that it was never a systemic racism. There was, but we fought it. We've got new laws that come out that came out against certain things that you can't um, be uh, have systemic racism anymore. It's laws have been passed, right? We had 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. We got all these amendments in our Constitution to fight against it. Yet people act as though nothing has changed since the 1940s. Like everything is the same. Absolutely. And it's not true. That is not true. And we, we've come a long, long way. Um, here in final moments, uh, I know you've got a big conference coming up, the largest uh, gathering of black conservative leaders in the Midwest uh, taking place uh, in the Chicago area coming up on, on March 24th and 25th. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the upcoming Black Conservative Summit? Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, First of all, the theme is how to fix black America with black actually struck out. We did that intentionally because we wanted to say that a lot of the, the, the issues we find in America are not just black issues. They're, they're American issues, right? So as you talked about, you know, the abortion issue, homelessness, uh, fatherlessness, things like that. And so, uh, but it's open to everyone. It's called the Black Conservative Summit because the majority of folks speaking at the summit will be black conservatives. So we've got Larry Elder, Colonel um, Colonel Allen West, we got Vody Bauckham, um, Jason Whitlock, uh, Corey Brooks. I mean, a number of different folks. You can go to our website. Uh, Dr. Alveda King, uh, one of our favorites. Uh, she'll be sending a uh, a video. She reached out to me the other day, said she wouldn't 
be able to make it, but she's going to be sending a video. Um, so we've got a session on, you know, the new chapter uh, of the pro-life fight is a breakout. Um, so we've got some other black pro-life leaders who are going to be there. It's, it's, it's a joining of family. We're hoping that the, um, everybody who comes, like I said, it's open to anybody who's conservative. And even if they're not conservative, bring one of your friends or, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to encourage people buy a table, bring, bring some of your friends who would normally come to something like this and hear conservatives. We're hoping that there'll be Hispanics, Asians, blacks, whites, that the audience looks like heaven, if you will. Uh, but they come to hear people give a, a, a maybe a perspective that you won't normally hear and you definitely won't get it on um, uh, mainstream TV. Well, Dr. Wallace, I really appreciate uh, you being with us uh, this morning uh, with your Christ-centered perspective. Uh, Many blessings on this upcoming uh, Black Conservative Summit. Again, it's March 24th through 25th. Uh, You can go to uh, freedomjournalinstitute.org for much more and to be able to sign up uh, for the event. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, God bless you, uh, uh, Father. Uh, I I should say I'm making you a father. Uh, Dr. Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, John. All right. Dr. Eric Wallace, the president and co-founder of Freedom's Journal Institute. We need to take a short break. When we come back, a Catholic speaker and author and faith coach, Kendra Von Esch, is going to be with us to talk about how living in the present moment uh, and being aware is the key to virtue. So stay with us as this Monday edition of Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. This is Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverance. Your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning on Relevant Radio and Relevant Radio app. I hope you're up and at them. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Monday morning here in the first full week of Lent. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Cyrus. Cyrus is with us this morning, filling in for Sarah. We borrowed him from the Patrick Madrid Show. Thank you, Cyrus. Uh, Great to be with you, our Relevant Radio family. Uh, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149 is our number if you want to be part of the show this morning. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Our Lord Jesus Christ promised before he ascended into heaven that he would be with us always. Jesus is always present to us now and forever. He has no reason to change because he is God in the flesh. He cannot change. Even though we live in a world that is always changing and eventually will pass away, the word made flesh, Jesus the Lord, will never change, and he is with us always in many different ways, especially through the Holy Spirit in the Holy Eucharist. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, I'm sure you've heard it said many, many times uh, before and uh, that it's important to live in the present moment. What exactly does that mean? In our current 21st century lives, it is not easy. Uh, most of us live on autopilot, just kind of going through the motions. What does it really mean to be in the present moment? Well, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta once said, Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has not yet come. We only have today. Let us begin. I I love that little saying. I have have it on a little sticky note uh, in my office at home. 
Our number, again, if you want to be part of the conversation on living in the moment, 888-914-9149. Now joining us for much more live from Chicago's Morning Air regular contributor Kendra Von Esch to explain how living in the present moment is uh, the key to virtue. Kendra is a speaker, a faith coach, a podcaster who is passionate about sharing her Catholic faith, her supernatural transformation and spiritual experiences while helping others on their journey as well. Kendra is the author of Am I Catholic? A Struggle with Faith, Humility, and Surrendering to God. Good morning, Kendra. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again. Happy Lent. Happy Lent and happy Monday. How are you doing, John? Doing well. Good to hear your voice. Um, interesting topic, you know, being in the present, living in the present. Uh, can you explain to us from your perspective, what, what does that mean? Yeah, so God has had me on a crazy journey, connecting the soul, the mind, and the body. And I have always neglected kind of the body aspect of my trio, if you will, the three things that are connected. I've shared with you so many times, John, how working out for me is like a challenge. It's always been a punishment. And over these last couple of months, God has truly connected that the soul, the mind, and the body all together need to be worked on. And so I'm saying all of this before I answer your question, because I want to share how the mind and the body truly do come into play here. Of course, the soul, that's first and foremost. We must have a relationship with God. We must be calling out to God and seeking God throughout the day. So all that being said, if I am sitting here in my current existence and I wake up in the morning, I just autopilot myself. I get out of bed. First thing I should do is put my two feet on the ground and thank Jesus for another day. But how many of us remember to do that? Because we're already thinking about the to-do list or the things that we have going on in the day. You might even be living in the past, just as that beautiful quote you just said about from Mother Teresa, Saint Mother Teresa. I love that quote. That, that quote is just so filled with wisdom. If we could all just really you know, put, you know, know, put, take it to heart and actually live it. Amen. So that's where being aware helps us. At least you have it on a little sticky note or something staring you in the face a lot. Many of us think about it and then we forget it. So I guess my whole point is living in the present is truly paying attention to what's going on. So when I say that we live on autopilot, I'm not just talking out of my mind here. I actually have been studying the body and our conscious mind, our subconscious mind, and how the soul, mind, and body all connects. Do you know that we live 5% of our life in a conscious state? Um, I, that, didn't, like, I did not know that stat. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? Like, what do you mean? I'm only 5% conscious? I walk around on subconsciously for 95% of my day? How does that even work? That's pretty scary, especially when you're like driving your car down the road, if if only 5% (laughs) of you is conscious. That's scary. But think about how many times you get to a place and you don't even remember the drive. You were thinking about a spouse conversation you had last night or maybe the presentation that you're driving to. Like, so so what I did. So true, Kendra. I know the feelings. Like, wow, we're here. How do we get here? Exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. Okay, so you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth. If you actually changed your hand and went to the opposite quadrant, or while you're in the shower, shower from the bottom up or do an opposite thing, shave with your other hand. Be careful when you do that, by the way. <laughs> you know, brush your hair differently, do the dishes with opposite hands. You will realize, whoa, I actually have to pay attention. That's what I'm talking about. We just go from one thing, as you said, in today's culture, from one thing to another thing, from another person to a place, to an email, to a text, to a podcast, to a radio station. When do we slow down and truly become aware of what's going on? Because when we're that busy and we're that automatically living, we are totally not tuned in to God. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Kendra, you know what? You're making me think of uh, the importance of if we're going to be in somewhat of an autopilot, uh, we at least ought to be following good habits, you know, habits that are positive that in which we don't forget God. But yet, even though we might be doing them sort of, uh, you know, in a in an autopilot type way. And, I'm, and I, first thing I think of is like, you know, I get up pretty early. I get up at 345 and within 60 seconds. I'm in front of the dark crucifix right in my bedroom and saying the morning offering. And I've sort of programmed myself to where that is the before anything else. That's the first thing I do. So spend at least a good 60, 90 seconds uh, saying good morning, Lord, uh, be, before everything else. And it kind of sets the tone for the day. But it became a habit. It's, it's now part of my routine, but it, it, it's a good habit. It took a while to get it down. But once you get it down, it becomes a part of you. Bingo. You just said it. You programmed yourself to do that. We've programmed ourselves to react to emotions, to react to people. When we remember events or things in our lives, sometimes when we recall them, like 20 years ago, we still get that pit in our stomach. We still get that anger boiling up in our body. We still have that sadness or whatever it is, that betrayal. Think about how we have programmed our bodies with experiences in our lives and people and things that we have to reprogram, just like you did. Like, I'm not going to get up and go about my day. I'm going to start it with Jesus in my bedroom with this beautiful crucifix. You said it took some time, and I'm sure it wasn't easy. Your body was used to doing what you were doing before. So that's where when we start realizing that our thoughts are truly killing us, I wrote an article today, it actually was published on Catholic Stand, and it's true. Our thoughts generate reactions, chemical reactions, biological and physiological reactions in our bodies that actually create disease-forming genes. So when you are angry, your body generates bad stuff, and you are programming your body to be sick. But it doesn't have to be that way. Have if you Correct. if if you if you're thinking <laughs> wonderful thoughts beautiful thoughts holy thoughts then that's what's going to be in your mind instead of negative thoughts sinful thoughts exactly so when you have that anger that temptation that you know resentment towards someone stop don't kill yourself you know you've heard that saying that when you're trying to punish someone else you want to Give them the poison, but you end up drinking it. You are truly killing yourself with those vicious thoughts about that person. 
So that's why you have to be aware and stop the emotions immediately. And you have to practice elevating your emotions to the beautiful gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love and generosity and kindness and patience. And it's not going to be instant, but if you're persistent and you shift every single time that comes up, you will have a new program eventually, and your body will now think of Joe, whoever might be someone you're a little bit upset with, and you'll have compassion and you'll have love. And I've been working on this myself. As a matter of fact, yesterday in mass. I, I, I tell you what, before we go to oh, your you story, gotta let, we got to take a quick time out. Uh, we want to continue to unpack what it means uh, to live in the present moment, uh, to uh, program yourself uh, anew. I'd like to invite uh, our listeners, uh, if you want to be part of this conversation on living in the moment, we're taking your calls for Catholic speaker and author uh, Kendra Von Esch, 888-914-9149 is the number, 888-914-9149. We'd love to hear your thoughts uh, uh, or any other inspirations you might have uh, this morning. Again, we're going to take a short Time out as we continue our discussion with Kendra. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. I'm on top of the world, Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine is our number. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We're talking about living in the present moment with our good friend, Morning Air, longtime contributor Kendra Vanes, speaker, podcaster, vlogger, author, faith coach. She does it all. Kendra, welcome back. <laughs> good to be back. Hey, Sorry I've got a scripture for you. Before the break, I was going to say I've got a scripture yes. that I thought of uh, during the break, actually, from Romans twelve two, where Saint Paul writes, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove uh, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." And I think, in many ways, that little scripture uh, really is really connected to what we're talking about here. Amen. So is 2 Corinthians 10.5, where St. Paul, again, what a brilliant saint, tells us, hey, capture every thought and be obedient to Jesus. And I remember reading that once, and I was like, what? Capture <laughs> every thought. How supposed to capture every thought? <laughs> Take every thought captive is truly the actual, you know, uh, text. But how in the world do you do that, I remember? Just like he said, pray incessantly all day. I was like, how do you do that? Well... You become aware and you just give it to Jesus. So I'm going to share a little story. I hope we have some callers coming in because I'm sure that they have ways that we can live in the present moment or maybe even ask a question about, hey, I'm dealing with this. How do I do it? So call in, everybody. But let me share a quick one that I was struggling with. Someone did something to me that hurt my feelings in a big way. And immediately, I was justified in my anger. And a lot of the time, we are. But that doesn't mean that we harbor it, and that doesn't mean that we get to punish that person, because guess what? If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us, and I don't know about you, but I need reconciliation. <laughs> so we all do. <laughs> you go through this process. Right, exactly. So you go through this process, and you just keep giving your thoughts and your feelings to Jesus, especially when those feelings bubble up. You stop. 
you give them to Jesus. You can also pray deliverance prayers because you could be being attacked by evil spirits in an obsession uh, type of way where you're constantly thinking about this horrible thing, which continues to bring you down, continues to cause your body to decay and kill itself. So for me, it was just every time I thought poorly, I gave it to Jesus, I offered it up to him on the cross, and then I said, I will wait for you to change my heart, Lord. So I've been waiting for a couple months. <laughs> my feelings are not connected to my actual forgiveness, which means I do not have any debt that this person needs to pay me. I don't need an apology. I forgive them. Lord, you have to take this. So when I was in mass, guess what we were talking about? We were talking about changing the heart. It was beautiful readings. I'm staring at the crucifix and John, my heart just exploded. I felt it enlarge. I felt my whole body's like blood pumping at a rate that my fingertips were tingling. And all of a sudden tears started coming out of my eyes. And I was thinking about this person with love and kindness. That is and the grace of, of God my, right there. I mean, it, right? it's, it, he's all giving of you that grace. Anger. Oh, so this is what can happen, but we have to pay attention and don't let it win. Don't let these feelings, because you know what? You got to look at yourself. I've done way worse than this person has done to me, to other people. And I know that I want forgiveness. So I think we need to look that around the world and say, we are all broken and try our best to love people where they're at. Still don't let them walk on you. That's not cool. But let it go from that point after you have a discussion or confront that person and then let God's timing work. And you are right. That was a grace. I was amazed at the end of that mass. Thank you, God. Wow. Uh, in the beginning, you, you mentioned that uh, you've actually been doing something about your body, not just your soul and, and your, your mind. Uh, have you started like working out and exercising again? Yes. So I was, I'm 52 and I would be groaning, bending down to pick something up off the floor. I'd be tired all the time. I had a lot of aches. I'll tell you, my hips hurt at night. My hands had like, they were always just inflamed. My whole body was inflamed for years. And I kept thinking I need to do something from the outside to help me. So I take all these supplements and all these other things when I realized my body, all of my muscles have atrophied over the years. You don't, you know, lose it or use, uh, use it or lose it. You know that phrase. Sure. Same with prayer. Same with virtue. If you don't practice virtue, you're going to lose it. If you don't practice prayer, you're going to lose it. If you don't work out your body, you're going to lose that muscle. So I started again doing research and finding out that, huh, maybe, maybe that's true. I guess I have to get up and start moving. So I started doing strength training and aerobic exercise. And for two months, I've lost probably 20 pounds. Good for you. But that's a nice. That is awesome. Right? That's, that's a nice byproduct, a beautiful byproduct. But, but there's the some virtue was, in that, just, especially if you did it with a, a, a spiritual perspective. True. I did. There was one time when I just did a fast for five days where I didn't eat anything and just had water. And I did not make that. A spiritual offering, but I prayed to God the whole way through because I was, you know, how when you fast, you're 
supposed to keep it to yourself. And this one I was doing publicly on my YouTube channel. So, you know, I just kept it not spiritual, but I talked to God the whole way through. It was amazing. All right. But anyway, yeah, you've got to connect the soul first, the body or the mind, sorry, and then the body, because the mind is super powerful. Your body has a mind of its own. You've heard that phrase, right? Sure. Think about it. How many times do you go try to do something new? Let's take my workout. I want to work out in my mind. I've made the decision in my mind, but my body is like, yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> usually we're sleeping or usually we're hanging out watching podcasts and you have an internal struggle to reprogram what you've programmed your body to do. So your body is honestly, it does have its own mind. And that's why we have to train it like a dog. Pull the leash. No, 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 body. You don't get to decide. I get to decide. And you just rule the body. Think about it. Sometimes if you're right now, I guarantee you there's someone out there in Lent who has had that urge. Let's say you decided you're going to stop eating sweets. Maybe you have a thing of Oreos in your cabinet right now and you're in your kitchen and you have this bodily desire, this urge that you're physically shaking. You are like, I got to have a cookie. I got to have a cookie. I got to have a cookie. You know, that is your body ruling your mind. And if we're not aware and we're not paying attention, we're just going to get up, go right to that cabinet and eat because we're not engaging our awareness and being in the present moment plus calling out for God to help you with that temptation. So funny. That's why I tell my wife, please don't bring those cookies into the house, especially during Lent. <laughs> so there's no ice cream, there's no cookies, no near occasions of temptation. Did you have, a, did you have one of her donuts? Uh, well, yes, on, you know, for Fat Tuesday. On, on Fat Tuesday? <laughs> okay, just, just double-checking. <laughs> for sure. Listen, time is always ticking away. Here in the last moments, we've got about a little over a minute to go. Just a final word of encouragement of what we can do here uh, during Lent to live in the moment, maybe pray in the moment. Yeah, so for sure, start your day with God. That is the first step. And then be aware, pay attention to what's going on and look for God. Expect the unexpected. When you're expecting something other than the norm, you're kind of looking for it. So tune in to what's going on in nature. Tune in to what's being brought up in your heart. And definitely tune in to the reactions of the emotions and the feelings that you've got bubbling up that are not of God. And fight them, fight them with deliverance prayers, fight them with changing your thought, offering them to God. And you will surely see that every day your spirit is going to be lighter and lighter and you're going to be more loving. You're going to be more compassionate. And if it's temptation, do the same. Stop, pause and pray. Amen. To go. We'll have to leave it there. And I know how much you love praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And we'll, we'll have to maybe uh, talk about that the next time we get together. But as always, thanks so much for being with us, uh, Kendra. Really appreciate it. Anytime, John. God bless and uh, have a great rest of your Lent till we talk again. Thank you so much. Kendra Vanesh, our Morning Air regular contributor, faith coach, speaker, and podcaster. Now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called They Need Us Now by Carol Boucher-Ottlinger. 
I see them in the nursing home as they try and keep their pride. They ask me if I'll take them home because they need a ride. Then tears well up within their eyes and their hands hold tight to mine. Soon I whisper, you'll be home and all things will be fine. I sing a song of yesterday. For a minute, they recall. Then the blank looks back again as though they've lost it all. They were teachers, bankers, mothers. They were fathers, big and strong. And now their fragile bodies don't know where they belong. I call their name. They don't look up. I hug their thin, small frames. They lean on me for just a while. They don't even know their names. I leave them with an aching heart, knowing someday I will be among the very many who drifted off to sea. The billows roll, the thunder roars. Somehow the ship steers straight. For at the helm, our master stands, taking us to heaven's gates. Isaiah 46, 4, Even your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. As always, thanks so much, Glenn. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, our spiritual director, Father Burt Masters, will continue his series on morality, virtue, and freedom. Today we're going to talk about the cardinal virtue of justice. Plus, career coach Bruce Lockenauer will be with us to talk about the recent layoffs and the 12-step